The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. And our second reading is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through to 25. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now, you, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you may have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we look at these words together. Our gracious Father, may we be holy as you are holy. Amen. Well, as I've moved to Melbourne, I've had to get used to a new normal. Uh, And except for today, of course, which is very Sydney-like, a big part of Melbourne, of course, is the new normal weather. I've had to, first of all, exchange all my coloured clothing for black clothing. And uh, as you can see, I've I've, uh, achieved that today. Uh, I exchanged my T-shirt for a puffer jacket, which uh, I was being informed is often called the Melbourne Tuxedo. Uh, I've exchanged my sunglasses for an umbrella, although this morning I actually had to find my sunglasses in order to drive here. Uh, I've had to exchange my bike with gears for a bike with only one gear, otherwise known as a fixie, and I've exchanged my ferries for trams, or as I like to say, all the inconvenience of a train with all the inconvenience of a bus (laughs) in one inconvenient package. there is, see, that's, that's the problem with this picture. When I, when, I, when I was researching for this sermon, that was the weather from my office window. Uh, and it was 32 degrees in Sydney last week. Anyway, I, I move on, I move on. Uh, we, of course, are in week two looking at a series in 1 Peter. Uh, and 1 Peter for us, what it does is, Peter gives us an understanding of who we are. And in response to who we are, 
he encourages us to live out a new life. And back in the very first part of 1 Peter, we saw that we, in a way, have a, a double-sided identity, a double identity, a bit like Clark Kent and Superman. We are firstly God's elect. That is, we belong to God. We are his precious people. But secondly, we are reminded that we are actually exiles. That is, where we live is not our true and ultimate home. So we are elect, but also exiles. And because we have this new identity, Peter will remind us that there's a new normal. That is, there's a new way of living as exiles who are elect. Now, I'll be spending most of my time in verses 13 to 21, just because I realise there's a time limit for how long we can preach for here at Inner West before we have to pay more money. Good to keep the budget down. Uh, and you'll notice that the very first thing that Peter does is start this section with one word, therefore. Now, I was taught at Bible college that whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore, thank you. Is, it, is this something that you guys have been taught? There's enough awkward nod saying, yes, Pete's used that line before. Uh, it's like an awkward dad joke, preacher's dad jokes. Uh, what Peter is doing with the therefore is bringing a, a conclusion from the previous section and saying, in result of what has happened, this is a new section. But he's linked it back. And Peter here, the therefore, is referring back to this great salvation plan that God has in verses 2 to 12 that Peter explains. It was great phrases, sanctifying works, sprinkling by his blood, great mercy, new birth, inheritance. Now, this wonderful line in verse 12, our salvation that prophets yearn to learn more about and angels longed to look into. That's the salvation you know. Those great prophets yearn to know about it and angels just desperate to look into it, but you've seen it in all its glory. Truly amazing. Therefore, Peter says, because you have such an awesome God and because you have such a precious salvation, live out your lives with holiness and with serious purpose. In other words, your salvation shapes how you live now. There is a new normal for people who've been saved by grace. There was an old normal and now there's a new normal. Start living it out. And there are four things particularly in this section that Peter will draw our focus to. The first one is that we need to now, as part of the new normal, live in hope. Live in hope. There's a great picture of living in hope. The light, it's a cliched light at the end of the tunnel picture there. And interestingly, Peter says, to live in hope, you have to do something rather strange. To live in hope... You've got to have your mind sorted. Your mind sorted. Have a look at verse 13 and see how Peter makes this point. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. At his coming. That little phrase there, minds that are alert, what it literally says is much better. It literally says... Gird up the loins of your minds. Gird up your loins. Now, of course, that's not a phrase we use often enough uh, in our culture. Uh, in the first century, by the way, they would wear these long outer garments uh, because it's a hot climate. 
uh, and of course you want the, the breeze to flow through. Uh, keep the sun off. I'll leave that enough to your imagination. Uh, and when you're walking around normally, that was fine. But when you had to do something active, either in, in attack somebody or, or, or do some physical work, you would literally gird your loins. You would pull together the corners and tie them around your waist. It was a way of saying, get ready. Gird up your loins. And particularly Peter here is saying, gird up the, the, loin, uh, the loins of your minds. Get your minds ready for action. Don't be lazy. Now, why is this so important when it comes to hope? They seem like completely different things. We need to understand what Peter means by mind here. See, our mind is not just where we have our practical reasoning, but it's also our moral conscience. It's the seat of our decisions. Your mind determines how you live. It determines what your normal behavior is. See, it's important to remember that your mind and my mind are not neutral. The computer, it's not kind of a computerized data thing which kind of works out the information coming in and then spits out the appropriate response. No, our minds are... are are emotional things. The mind has a spirit, a, a viewpoint, a mindset. It sets the agenda and determines our behavior, and it's flavored by all kinds of things. If you don't believe me, look at the comments section on any news article. You'll see mindsets at work. It's very, very rare that you have any kind of logical argument it's basically who can call somebody else a Nazi the quickest. That's Godwin's law, right? That's when you know the arguments got out of control. We are very emotive beings and our minds respond understandably that way. But Peter's saying here is set your mindset, gird up your loins, particularly to set your hope on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, shape the way you think around this great truth. Shape your thinking, put your confidence on the fact that there will be a time when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and on the grace that will surround it. See, Peter's saying that's got to be kind of embedded in your mind when you look at this world, when you determine what the new normal is. See, Peter will go on to say, look, life is going to be tough, particularly if you're a follower of Jesus. It's going to be hard. And you need to hang in there, but that will only work if you gird your mind with the knowledge that Christ will return. That justice and mercy will be vindicated. That the followers of Christ will be upheld. That God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. If you lose that picture, that mindset... You will get into all kinds of troubles and life will be terribly, terribly difficult. So we need to have our minds determinately set on that course of action. Not just kind of thinking about it flippantly, but focused. When I was back at uni, I had a great friend of mine called Matthew Moppet, which is a great name when you understand who Matt, Matthew Moppet is. He was the vaguest person I ever knew. We went bowling and eight hours later, we're at the beach. He was still wearing his bowling shoes. Uh, I think he never bothered returning them. I think he just thought, ah, oh, whatever. Uh, 
in order to, Matt was so lazy, in order to prevent himself from sleeping through his alarm, he would put the alarm on the other side of the room, which would necessitate him to get up, gird his loins, to turn it off, get off to uni, because he started at 11 o'clock, being an art student, he didn't want to rush things, and so he set his alarm for 8 o'clock. Now, a friend of mine who was living with him was a vet, and she would start work at 8 o'clock. Uh, and so, at, sorry, at, at nine o'clock, she would, she would hear his alarm go off just before she left home and thought, good, Matt's up. She came home at 5.30 and Matt's alarm was still going off every nine minutes. He had spent the entire day in nine-minute gaps, hearing the alarm, girding his loins, pressing snooze, going back to bed, <laughs> waiting nine minutes, walking out of bed, hitting the snooze button, going back to bed. Hearing the alarm, waking up, walking across the from 8 a.m. until 5.30 p.m. See, Matt was not a guy whose mind was ready for action. He was continually hitting the snooze button. And there's a temptation to do that, isn't it? Because it, it can feel too hard. Oh, get up for action. It's so much easier just to not think about it, not engage, not, not push through faithfully following Jesus. Just nine more minutes of sleep. That's all I want. I, I feel that in the morning. I just want that. Just nine minutes. And then nine more minutes. And then nine more minutes. And before you know it, it's 5.30 in the afternoon. Peter's saying to have that mindset is to gird your loins for action. It's an active thing. It's not just going to happen. You have to make it happen in order to live lives of hope. Living lives in hope is not a passive thing. I hope this will happen. It's actively setting your mind on following Christ, knowing he'll return to shape the way you think about this world. And this leads on to the second point, that we are to live without conforming. There is the one blue billiard board. Verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had, when you lived in ignorance. Now, it's not hard at all to understand the temptation to fit into our culture. The pressure is more and more constant, I think. Uh, we are pressured to make moral compromises, particularly in your workforce, if, you, if you're a worker, for the sake of profit. A friend of mine, uh, John, he would run a, a, a bio lab that they test different diseases and stuff like that and give the results. He found out that they were using pirated software because at that level uh, of expertise, software is extremely expensive, twenty dollars to $30,000. Now, as the boss of the lab and with a tight budget, to tell his superior that he needs to spend twenty dollars to $50,000 on new software when the budget's tight, and this has been going on for years. What's the temptation? You know, the temptation is to conform and say, well, I guess it's not harming anybody. It's a victimless crime. Or another friend of mine who was actually the dean of the vet school in Sydney University uh, at the time uh, and was pressured to pass overseas students because they pay upfront fees. You know, just make that 48 or 52. No one's going to... It's a victimless crime. You're helping these people get their jobs as vets. Just conform and fit in. And I think, friends, Australia is going to become a place where it is more and more uncomfortable to hold 
Christian beliefs. Now, the obvious one, of course, is there's the same-sex marriage debate, but that's, that's just part of it. I think if you've been in any kind of workplace for long enough, you'll understand the pressure to compromise your integrity. When will God and Jesus not be able to be mentioned without fear of repercussion? When people ask you strange and awkward questions when they discover that you're a Christian. Remember when I was working for Combank, uh, they found out I was a Christian and probably the only Christian out of 200 people in that area. They wanted to know, so you're a Christian? Yes. So you don't believe people should have sex outside of marriage? I said, well, I think that's what, what the Bible says. I said, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard, they said to me. You're, you're an idiot. The compromise is there the whole time. My kids, I've got three kids, and uh, if you are a parent of children, you'll know that they will start copying you in ways which you haven't even realised. My now uh, 11-year-old son, when he was 18 months old, really enjoyed two-minute noodles. Uh, and we'd served him a lovely bowl of two-minute noodles, and he, as was his wont at the time, when he'd finished his food, he put his bowl on his head. I don't know if uh, your children have ever done that, or you know kids that do that, it's quite funny. Uh, but then he started chanting. I want more mother flipping noodles. I want more mother flipping noodles. And we looked at each other and thought, where did he get that language from? Then we realised he got it from his parents. See, children follow their parents, and it's humorous at times and other times embarrassing. Uh, teenagers will tend to not follow their parents, do the complete opposite, but want $50 first. Uh, at work, we tend to emulate uh, against people what we respect and honour. But the challenge is that too often we adopt values that are foreign to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the great danger. We, we can too easily become what I call chameleon Christians. We are so adept at blending into our surroundings that we forget that we're actually called to bring light and salt into the culture we're a part of. See, Christians are so often charged with being out of touch with society. Have you heard that phrase? You Christians, you're so out of touch. You're living in the past. You've got to get with, with the times. And so when my friends say to me, look, John, you're out of touch with society, I say, oh, thank you for noticing. Because we are. See, our primary identity is as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Peter will do is he will link our identity as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as children of God with our actions. And what he says is, look, if you are children of God, start acting like it. Start imitating your spiritual father because you don't actually belong to anybody else. And in fact, Peter will go as far as to say, the life you lived previously, before you started following Jesus, in, in verse 18, it was an empty way of life. Not only is it not following God, it's actually empty, it's worthless. See, a life without Jesus may look flashy and wonderful on the outside, but it's just window dressing. It's fruitless and useless and powerless. When I was working for uh, a Commonwealth Bank a different time, there was these young guys who were between 25 and 28, and they were consultants. This is before the GFC, so they were earning three to $400,000 a year. 
what the funny thing was, most of them lived at home with their parents. And what was even more funny was, two of them, their mums, packed them a lunch. <laughs> right, this is the perfect job. <laughs> you have no, 400000 a year, you have no expenses, and your mum packs your lunch. From our world's point of view, right, they have made it. Right? Everyone's like, yeah, I want that job. <laughs> they have got everything they need. But they would share to me, John, why do I feel like my life is empty? I've got everything. I'm 25. I'm earning an insane amount of money. And I have a free lunch. My mummy still folds my underwear. Come on, this is the best life ever. But my life, it's not there. It's not fulfilled. I had all these expectations that I would have made it by now. There's something missing. And I'd say, yeah, it's pretty obvious what's missing in your life. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that empty way of life misses the most important thing. Because nothing in this world can actually deal with our own mortality. See, every other hope in this world ends in death. Education, medicine, money, family, free lunches from mum. Whatever it is that your hope is in, they, they can actually be really good things. Not that they're bad things, it's just none of them will stop you from dying. None of them deal with the deepest need that we have. None of them give us true living hope, says Peter. So, so stop following those ways and start following the Lord Jesus Christ, who's actually given us life to the full who's died for our sins and failing. And because Jesus has been raised from the dead and defeated death, we have new life. So don't live the old way of free lunches and lots of money. Good things, but they're not going to give you what you desperately, desperately need, which is eternal life. Don't live that old way. Live the new way. There's a new normal, says Peter. Don't conform to the old ways. Live as new, obedient children. And thirdly, Peter gives us a slightly more positive twist on this. And he says, live in holiness. That picture will make sense shortly. Verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, that is God, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Here, uh, Peter is quoting Leviticus, which was read for us, but not just that reading. It's actually Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19, Leviticus 20. Lots of different parts of Leviticus talk about being holy. But the question is, of course, well, what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? It sounds like a, a very spiritual word. Are you, are you holy? Very holy. You imagine some guy with an outfit on looking very, you know, polite. Um, simple, the word holiness just means to be special or, or different or set apart for a very special purpose. Let me give you an example. When Pete goes to your place for lunch, you get out the ordinary crockery and cutlery, right? Not the holy stuff. But when the vicar turns up, you get the special grandma china that you only use for special occasions. That's the holy china. It's been set aside for the VIPs. That's what it means to be holy. 
to be set apart for a special purpose. And by the way, you see this all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, God in his majestic godness is referred to as holy or distinctly other. Distinctly other from everything else. You have the creator and then you have creation. They're the only two boxes. The temple where God lives is his holy dwelling. It's set apart. God's people are called a holy nation. They're set apart. The holy mountain where God lives is said to be off limits. It's separate. In fact, you can't even live on it or go near it without fear of death. And the most holy place referred to is often in the tabernacle. The holy of holies. The most separate of the most separate where the high priest could only enter once a year and he had to go through all these paraphernalia and he had a rope tied around his neck, uh, around his leg and little bells on, not his neck, uh, little bells on him so that if he did something wrong and fell down dead, they could drag him out because no one else could go in. And the whole point of this idea of holiness is that God is so utterly separate and perfect and different and other than from the rest of of everything there is, including sinful humanity. There is a massive gap. But God says, not only am I holy, but those whom I have called to serve me are also holy. And that is an extremely radical idea. Those whom God calls, we see in the Old Testament, the priests and the Levites, are ordained which just means to be set apart, nothing special about that word, to serve God. Their garments, the funny outfits they'd wear, the rules they had, were all about showing that they were set apart. They were like Grandma's China. Because they belonged to God and served God, they were holy, therefore they had to act like it. And so when it comes to 1 Peter, Peter has brought all these ideas with him which the readers of 1 Peter, the first hearers, would understand, but we don't quite get because we don't quite understand holy. And in fact, in 1 Peter, he will use that word holy in those two different words, to be holy because you are holy. In other words, the, first, the second one there, to be holy, is the idea that holiness is something that you are, a status, your identity. And if you go back to 1 Peter 2, which I'm sure this Peter spoke on last week, uh, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. That word sanctifying just means to make holy. That's where we get the word saint from. A saint is someone who's been made holy. Sanctifying just means be holy, to set apart. And so we see that at the very beginning, God has made us holy. He set us apart, not because we're special, in fact, we're far from it, but because he is special. But also we see, in, particularly in this later half of chapter 1, we see holiness as something, not just your identity, but something you live out. It's a process, the continually working out of your wholeness, your character. In other words, Peter is saying, make sure your behavior matches your identity. Make sure your behavior matches your identity. Be holy, that's your behavior. Why? Because you already are holy, your identity. It's a bit like being married. I and my wife Anna, we've been married for more than 20 years. 
But we are no more married now, after 20 years, than we were when we were married, December the 7th, all those years ago. We are married then, we are, we are married now, same status. But I have learned to become a better husband, better at loving her and caring for her. Start acting like a husband because you are a husband. It kind of makes sense in those relationships, doesn't it? I'm not more of a husband, but I've learned how to love my wife more. That's what God is saying. Be holy because you are holy. Or another way of putting it, if you're into football, there are some finals apparently at the moment. Can someone... There was Greater Western Sydney. I'll put that one out there. They're playing somebody. Is it Richmond? No? Anyone? Come on, you're from Victoria. Tell me the football. Blank looks. West, the Weagles versus... Great Western. That was last night. Okay, let's... Did the... Greater, oh, there you go. Sign from God. <laughs> Greater Western Sydney and the Weagles. West Coast Eagles, for those who don't know where the Weagles are. Uh, let's just say a player transfers from Greater Western Sydney to the West Coast Eagles. When they go there, they don't keep wearing their Greater Western Sydney jersey. They've got a new identity, don't they? They take off the glorious Giants jersey and put on the lesser, in this case, uh, West Coast Eagles jersey. In other words, their behaviour now reflects their identity. That, this is the language that Peter is giving us. And the idea here is that our behaviour always catches up and grows and matures out of who we are in Christ. Because I think one of the misnomers about Christianity is, if you do good stuff, you then change your identity into someone who God can trust and say, yes, you're one of mine. Do good things become a Christian and the gospel is no no you can't actually do enough good things to make yourself uh, a Christian God does that himself like Jesus dying on the cross for you and because you are a Christian now you live out good works you're not saved by good works you're saved for good works and one of the challenges in the Christian life is you kind of think this is the old me that was before I was a Christian this is the new me and we're kind of fighting it out you know, sometimes I follow the old way, sometimes I follow the new ways, and I'm trying to work out who I am. The problem is that's not how the Bible describes it. The Bible says it's not the old you versus the new you. It says there's a new you, and it's clothed in old ways. In other words, your identity is the same now, always. And you take off and relearn the ways you should now live give you one very quick example. Let's just say uh, there is a poisonous gas company called Peak Greenwood Poisonous Gases. That's the identity. And what's its job is to create poisonous gases for nefarious circumstances. Very nefarious. But then Campbell comes along and buys out the company and it's now Campbell Medicinal Oxygen. Because he's a lovely, helpful guy. And now, of course, the company's identity's changed and what's its job? to produce oxygen. And there are still times where the marketing department's still working this out. We need to, we need to peep sarin, sarin gas ads. No, no, no more sarin gas ads. We don't sell that anymore. We now sell oxygen. Oh, okay, sorry, got that wrong. And that's our lives. We have a new identity and there are different parts of our lives that are still catching up with our identity. And you will know those parts of your lives where who you are called to be as holy people is, is incongruent with who you actually are as someone who's in Christ. And Peter's saying that's what you need to work on. Not to make you holy, but because you are holy. 
That's why we keep striving. In other words, there's a new normal, and that normal is holy behavior. That's the kind of key thing we need to get our, get our minds around. Why Christians do good things. Not to make us holy, but because we are holy. It's one of Peter's main points. Fourthly, and this is a, a quicker one you'll be pleased to know. Uh, live in fear. That doesn't sound like a positive thing, does it? But I want to explain to you why it is a positive thing. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverend fear. That's what Peter says to do, live in reverend fear. See, the good news is that God is, a, is our heavenly father who judges everybody with the same kind of evidence. He's impartial. He looks at people's lives and says, okay, what do their lives say about their heart? There's not different rules for different people. He's a great and perfect judge. That's the good news. The bad news is that our Heavenly Father judges everybody on the same evidence, namely on what our lives say about our hearts. There won't be different rules for different people. In other words, it all sounds good until we realise we are in trouble if God was to look at our actions only. And so Peter says here, live in a way that shows or demonstrates that your faith is in God. Live in reverent fear. Not fear where you run away from God, but fear that recognises the only safe place is actually to run to God. See, if you were put on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? See, Peter's reminding us here that God was willing to give up the most precious thing to redeem you to make you holy. And it wasn't some rubbish like silver and gold and precious stones. Rubbish. The most precious thing, verse 19, is the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without a defect or blemish. That's the most precious thing. That is what it costs God to make you holy. And you see, the aim and purpose and design of Jesus' redemption in verse 18 is not just your forgiveness, but also your transformation. The reason Jesus shed his infinitely precious blood wasn't just to forgive your sins, as sweet as that is, but also that we change our conduct to live out the new life that he has won for us. So when Peter says, live out your time in reverent fear, Knowing that you were redeemed from an empty way of life by the blood of Jesus, Peter is saying to you, live out your life in a way that says the most precious thing to you is the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on the cross. That is your most precious possession. Do you live a life that's, it is obvious that Christ's blood is the very heart of what you do, the thing you hold closest to you. See, he was chosen before creation of the world. That is chosen to save you, Peter goes on to write. But he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And your faith and hope are in God. Friends, that is the great gospel. So just as he who calls you is holy, so 
be holy. For friends, that is the new normal. Let me pray. Our gracious Father, may the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ always be the thing most dear to us. Father, we pray that our lives may just uh, reflect and show just how precious Christ's blood is. May we live lives of hope, having our, our minds girded up for action. May we, may we no longer conform to the empty and false values of this world, but indeed follow you, our Heavenly Father. And Father, may we live in holiness, in love, pardon me, and mercy and peace, reflecting your character, character of the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his blood made us holy, and in whose name we pray. Amen.